on what God is desiring for us. So I want us to be in that frame of mind when we're going through this conversation about exploring the life of God. The idea is not to be revelational so much, but to just kind of shift how we see the word so that we can really know what God wants. And then on top of that, as we know what God wants, we won't be as hard on ourselves. We won't be as difficult on other people. We'll give each other room to breathe. We'll give ourselves room to love one another no matter what, because that's the thing that is lacking most. People get done with people and through with people too easily. And there are some things we can learn about God's life that I believe would really help us not be those kinds of people and be that way, because that's really not the way of the gospel. The Scribal Conservatory Overview, I just want to do this because I haven't in a while. The Scribal Conservatory Arts and Worship Center is a safe place to explore, activate, refine, and demonstrate your gifts and talents in the Lord while being immersed in the reality of Christ. What is a conservatory? A conservator. A conservatory is a college or university of study. I think that we prove what that is every time we come on board for Bible study or Sundays, or if you're involved in the school of the scribe. A conservator is a guardian or a protector of a specific body of knowledge or work. And in this case, we're holding on to four principles, which are below transforming nations, which means we operate in the realm of mind renewal. And you already know that um, our uh, conservatory uh, walks heavy in that area. If you have had no other impartation, it has been that your mind is constantly being transformed, constantly, not by me, but by the mantle of, of truth that the Lord has given us that belongs to him. We're reinforcing covenant and our covenant is reinforced with Jesus, understanding that Jesus Christ or Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. And you see me use Jesus, Jesus Christ, I say the Lord. This is important because we understand that Jesus is God. That's scripture. That's not me saying that, but you know, it's the Lord made flesh. It's our God. So, you know, we interchange those terms. We elevate Christ above men, which is critical. We don't disavow leadership. We understand the beauty of leadership, but we also understand that we are, all sons and we are all brethren in Christ in that no one is no one is greater than you you know we're all great in the eyes of God people have different giftings they have different callings they have different levels of authority and different levels of access which is really what causes a lot of the differentiation is the authority and the access not the person themselves, because no person is greater than another person as it relates to anything that our Lord has designed. Men created that system. So we need to always be in a place of elevating Christ above men. The Lord said, you shall have no other gods before me. And that has not changed. So the last thing that we really, really push as a principle is increasing understanding. I'm going to be doing some replays once I figure out how to do that. And we're going to continue to focus on embracing immersion, 
as our roots grow down deep in him. And that's what we're here for, to make sure that we are growing spiritually, that not that we are the best teachers, that we are looking to be the next great this and that. We don't want to be people that are building our own platforms just for us to be great. We want to be building and doing what we feel led to do because we want the Lord to be made known, that we want to do our portion and making sure that we're reaching the people with the message and with the heart that he has given us for him. That's it. So um, that's how you stay in touch. Right now, we're going to be focusing on the Facebook group. Um, so that shouldn't say page, it should say group. And you can be there. We're going to have Bible study. We just talked about that. Please, please subscribe to my podcast. New episodes will be out this week. And I'm back on track with that. It's a lot of work. So pray for me. God is sending help though. I've been surprised by the number of people that want to help me. And, and so I'm trying to get things straightened out so that I can get that help. It's very appreciated. And I thank you. And that's how you give. Again, that's always there. But today we're going to be talking about exploring the life of God. But one of the things the Lord shared with me specifically for our time together is, you know, in his life, he has some expectations. I know that we can sometimes have unexpectations, unrealistic expectations of others. We can have unrealistic expectations of God, you know, or the people in the workplace, but expectations aren't necessarily negative. So I want to make sure we understand that expectations when they're healthy should take us into higher places. They should mature us. They should expect us to do more than we did yesterday. They should cause us to live in a higher place than we lived a few hours ago. So God does have expectations and those expectations to me are extreme they're really more extreme than we realize, but they're a good extreme. How can I say that? Because he's expecting us to be like him. So I want to do just a really quick, really, really quick recap. And this is this goes back to our first conversation when we began this. I asked you, have you ever wondered who God is beyond what we want from him? That's really hard because Most of our prayers are about, God, I want you to do this. God, get me out of this situation. God, what is my purpose? God, what is my destiny? It's me, 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 me is the theme song of most of what we hear pray. God wants you to have a million dollars. God says you're going to blow up. I mean, we hear God saying a whole lot of stuff he absolutely did not say in scripture and doesn't even really line up with a lot of things that he teaches. But, you know, when we don't know the word, we tend to believe a lot of these things and we get lost in what's popular. We get lost in the climate of the day and we want to kind of move out of that. We Not that he doesn't want us blessed, not that he, because he does, he wants us to be wealthy, he wants us to be prosperous, but we should not worship those things. We should also take the time and say, God, what does your life look like? 
who are you beyond the various covenants and beyond the Old Testament feats that you're, who are you? How are you living, God? And I want us to be in that place with him, to look at all of these things and be able to just embrace them in that. And today we're going to examine some of that. I want us to remember that God is omnibevalent. He is all giving and all good. This never changes. This never changes. The more I look at this and the more I see the stories of the old covenant, those where he cracked open the earthquake and swallowed up the people and the things that we see happen and the stories that people who don't believe try to put in place to say he's not a loving God. You know, it's, it, it's challenging. But when we begin to look at the life that God lives, I promise you, if you begin to ask those questions, some of those things that we struggle with or we've seen people struggle with will begin to clear up as we listen, see from God's perspective. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omnificent, all-creative. And he's omnipresent everywhere all the time. God's life presents these truths in every expression he has ever made. He has always been and always will be these things in the earth, these things in the universe, and these things in us. God is not a man that he should lie. I want us to look um, quickly at Deuteronomy 6. Um, I came off of Facebook, if you all don't know, so if you don't see that we're friends anymore, please know I didn't unfriend you. I just deactivated my profile. I'm really operating from my page right now, Teresa Harvard Johnson, and I'm operating from my um, group. And I don't anticipate coming back. But the good news is we are moving to a different platform and you'll learn more about that after the new year. But take a look at this, Deuteronomy 6. We talk about this all the time and we talk about God's expectations. You've heard this before. This may not be new to you, but it's definitely something we need to look at. And we're not going to walk through the Shema. We're not doing that. What we are doing, however, is looking at an aspect of this powerful word that I think is really, really, really important to us for today. Deuteronomy 6, it says this, and we're just going to start at verse 3. And we know the Lord is speaking to the people of Israel, and we know that they are getting ready to, um, we know that they are in the midst of going to the land flowing um, with milk and honey. They're, they're in this place of being prepared by God to become the people that he has always desired and longed for them to be. So here in Deuteronomy 6, we hear this. We said, the Lord says, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. And then he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. 
these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. The one thing I love about God's life, when we begin to look at how he interacted with everyone, I mean, how he interacted with Abraham, how he interacted with Isaac and Jacob, how whoever you name that he chose, when we look at how he interacted with them, he interacted with them in a way that said, listen, I want you to love me with all your heart. I want you to love me with all your heart. I want you to desire me with all your heart. I want you to want to be with me with all your heart. I want you to want to walk with me with all your heart. I want all of you to love me. Every part of you from the crown of your head to the sole of your feet, from your guts, uh, whatever it is, I want you to love me. This in God's life, listen, it's been his expectation that we would love him, not just worship him, but love him. Ahavahim, covenant him. You know, and, and this is important because when we think about the word ahava, we know that that word encompasses all the definitions of healthy love from a Hebraic um, perspective. It really does. And it's a powerful word because every aspect of that love that is good is covenant and is based on a concept of oneness, a concept of marriage, a concept of the bride and the bridegroom. And it always has been there. And I want us to see this because look, if God is giving these people law to live by, if he's, you know, if he's giving them rules and regulations, the question is, Does he just want you to be good? Does he just want you to do everything that he tells you to? Or is he trying to cause the people or is he um, putting things in place to cause the people to want to be like him? In God's life, everything has been about seeing us as he sees us because as he sees us, He sees us as an extension of himself. So simple, not deep at all. He sees us as an extension of himself and he wants to see himself in us at every opportunity. That's a high expectation. And that's why we're looking at this today because it's very high. Oh my God, who who can really be like God without his help? Who can really be that? He wants us to be an extension of who he is. And I don't know about you, but when I think of that expectation, I realize I am falling short of this truth every single day, which means one thing, not that I am incomplete, not that I am imperfect, but that I have a goal that I am reaching toward every single day when I get up. And this is the part that I want you to remember. When you wake up every day, it's an opportunity to be more like him, not to count all the ways that you are not. That's the beauty of having an omniscient father, omnificent father, omnipotent father. Oh my God, that, that's, 
omnipresent father that's the beauty of it the beauty is that we wake up every day in the hope that we are becoming more like him that's the power that repentance brings us that's the power that grace brings us and i hope that's making sense to you you know, as we walk through this, because so many of us wake up looking at our inadequacies. We wake up looking at the places where we've been incomplete. We wake up looking at what we've done wrong. We wake up looking at every mistake, every point of controversy. But listen, most of the gospel that I was taught growing up has been all about my faults, not about my potential to become. That's why I'm sharing this, because God in his efforts to love us proves over and over again that he knows that every moment that you wake up that you are waking up in the hope of being better than who you were yesterday in him you're waking up being empowered to do more to think better to live better to be freer than you were the day before so we see this love of God and his, his expectation of us to love like him. We see it. The scripture says, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your heart. Okay, I didn't do a great job yesterday, God. Oh, but this morning, I woke up at ready. I woke up ready to try again. I woke up ready. This is what he is looking for. This is what's loving him like with our heart, all our heart. Oh my goodness. That, and when you think of your heart, I want you to think of your will. I want you to, when you think of your soul, I want you to think of your will. When you think of your strength, because it's going to take new mercies every morning to shift the heart, the soul, and our strength to do it into that place. Oh my God, today is the day that Teresa has to be better than who she was yesterday. This is how we can walk away from condemnation. This is how we can move out of those places of shame and regret. This is how we can say, okay, I can't fix it, but I'm not going to worry about it because I've done everything that I can. All I can do is breathe right now and move forward. Oh, I hope this is making sense to you. I hope it's making sense to you because God has some expectations and sometimes his expectations seem overwhelming, but they will always be overwhelming if we see his expectations as law. I hope I'm, you're hearing me with that part. If I think, oh my God, I just got through cussing somebody out, so I'm going to hell. If we see every bad decision and choice we make from that religious perspective, we will never be able to move forward. We will never be able to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. So you may say, why didn't I go to a, um, a new covenant scripture? Well, because I want you to see this in the old covenant. I want you to see the pattern 
that goes through all the scriptures. And I'm going to show you this in a different way. We're going to look at Genesis 3 real quick. And we know the story. We've already walked through Genesis 1 and 2, looking at God's life. But I want you to see something. I've been taught, you know, that, you know, and I know many of you have, I've been taught that after the fall, you know, we hear all of this. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to them. So we know that story. We know that story. It's been drilled into us over and over again. And so our minds, once that happened, goes immediately to their punishment. Just walk with me for a minute. This is how they were punished. This is how sin entered the world. This is how they were punished. This is what's happened. And so we know that. And it's true. It's absolutely true. And then, you know, we have all the stories and the narratives that come out of this. But but verse eight, let's just take a look at it. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. Now, this is after they've broken the rule. And the rule was don't eat anything from, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Well, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now we know that this death was not a um, physical death in the moment, like you're going to die right away. (laughs) You know, it was like your life will no longer be eternal, that you won't have an eternal place with God anymore. If you eat here, it means that you will live for a certain amount of time and then you will die. You won't live. You won't be like the Eternals in that awesome movie that I saw. You won't be like that. <laughs> you know, you're going to kick it and you're going to die eventually because God's plan was for us to live eternally in him. It was always his plan that we have eternal life. But eating from that tree interrupted that. So I, I just want you to see that for just a moment. So But this is, and we're just talking about that, but that's not really the heart of the message. So this discourse goes on and we see them later after they eat the tree, they eat from the tree uh, that they're not supposed to eat from, that they have a new understanding and a new knowledge. Why is this important? It's important because God wanted to shield them from that. He wanted to keep them. It's kind of like parents wanting to keep their children in a childlike state as long as they can. He wants them, the parent wants them to experience the good. They want them to enjoy life. They don't want them to have all these unnecessary burdens. They don't want evil to touch them. They don't want all of these horrible things to become a part of their reality. They just want them to have a good life. And in God's life, this is what he was saying to them. It just wasn't about rules. Don't eat. 
that wasn't it by itself. It was that I want to keep you pure. I want to keep you safe. I want, I don't want you to know all the horrors that I have. I don't want you to experience the things that I know you might. I want you to just dwell with me. This is what God in God's life, when he said, let there be light, he only wanted light in them. He did not want them to have things taking place that will hold them back. I think it's interesting that the first thing that the woman and the man did was hid them, hide themselves. And this is for another teaching later when we do some things as a small group. But listen, he didn't even want them to think that sex was bad. He didn't even want them to think that. But here they are hiding their genitalia, hiding their bodies, experiencing a first level of shame that still follows us to this day. He didn't want them to look at their bodily imperfections. He didn't, he didn't want any of that. But they ate the fruit and that's what happened. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to him, called to the man, and he said, where are you? He called to Adam and he said, where are you? And I love this because I believe that when God says, where are you? He was really saying, where are you, my innocent children? Where are you? What happened to you? What did you do? You came out from under the shadow of my wing. Where are you? Not where are you located? Where are you hiding? Because God knew where they were. He was asking something far deeper. And he's asking us that same question today where are you because before that moment they were in his love they were in his covenant they were in his perfect place they were in his peace they were dancing through the tulips butt naked <laughs> where are you your heart's no longer with me your soul's no longer with me and even your strength is no longer with me. Where are you? And God is walking through the garden. This is what gets me. He's walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, because listen, God is looking to fellowship. He's looking to hang out. He's looking to enjoy them. He's looking for the paradise that he intended. He's looking for that. And he had an expectation that he would find it. Listen, God's expectation is finding habitation with us. It always has been. That's why we're looking at Deuteronomy 6, because it's interesting to me that his greatest commandment to the children of Israel was the love me. We look at it as love the Lord your God, but this is from the Lord. 
The Lord is saying, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We tend to read scripture and we see the commandment is to love him. But if we look at it from who God is, he's saying, love me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I want you to love me. These are the instructions that I give you. And I want you to keep this instruction on your heart. I want you to understand that I want you to love me. I want you to impress the fact that you need to love me on your children. I want you to talk about that. I want you to love me when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up and we see it as all of these laws, we see it as don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. And and that's not really what God is saying. Those laws were in place to teach us in that time what God thought was best, but we know now that that law was imperfect, but he was teaching us that because he was hoping, get this, that we would love him enough to obey. It wasn't about being forced. It was about what can I do to help them be like me? They're not like me anymore. Where are they? They're not like me anymore. They're not thinking like me. They're not acting like me. They're not treating one another like I've treated them. They're doing all of these things that are totally opposite of who I am. I am constantly in my life expecting them to love me. It's amazing how we understand this when it comes to parenting. And if you've never had a parent, if you've never been parented, then you know what that feels like to be at war in your heart and wondering if anybody loves you. If you've ever raised a child or raised a niece or a nephew, or if you've ever loved someone uh, and, and they did not return it, then you know what that feels like. You know that there was an expectation there. God allows us to, he gave us emotions. He didn't just give us emotions randomly. We are touching things that God has felt. I hope that that resonates with you. I hope that you can hear that just a little bit. I hope that you can see that we only have emotions and feelings because God had them first. And in his life, he didn't want to grieve. He didn't want to get angry. He, he wanted to be loved. And he wanted to love us back. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He never intended to be seen as a lawgiver. Not solely. That, that, listen, we have to know who he is. We have to understand that he is. He always tells us, I am love. I am marriage covenant. I am grace. I am mercy. He's always telling us that. Now, I want you to look at something else. Let's go down here to verse 21. We're still in Genesis 3. And I just want you to see this. The Lord God made garments 
of the skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. He knows good and evil. Why would he say that? If he wasn't protecting us from good and evil, he wanted us to know only the good. He wanted us to know how to receive the good gifts of the father. He wanted us to know the best of him. He wanted to shield us from every pain and evil that this world would bring. Oh, and it gets better. Only then did he say he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So listen, we have been taught that they were thrown out of the garden because of their sin. Sin set these things in motion, but it was not the reason they were put out of the garden. I want you to see love in this. The Lord banished them from the garden of Eden to work the ground from where he had been. And he drove the man out. He placed them on the east of the garden, the cherubim with the flaming flashing back and forth guard. Listen, when you go back up and you read the scripture, you're going to find out that he took them out of the garden so that they wouldn't eat from the other forbidden tree. Oh my goodness. He didn't want us to live an eternal life in the state that they had created because they had fallen. Oh, I need to know that you all heard me when I shared that, that there's understanding there before I move forward. You have to know that it wasn't just that they were bad that they got put out. It was that their sin created an environment that could not exist in eternity. Can you see it? Oh my God. We've been thinking all our lives, I'm bad. I'm just so bad. I'm just, God can't possibly forgive me. Oh my God. You know, listen, they were already forgiven before they left the garden. Read it. Read it. One of the main reasons why they were not able to dwell there was because God wanted to protect them from an eternity living the way that they had broken into. Oh my God. Listen, I, I just know that God has an expectation of us to really love him. And how he sees love is a whole lot different from how we see it in our heart and in our mind. He must, he said here in green, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. They could live forever in their pure state, in their pure state, because there was nothing wrong, nothing missing, nothing broken. He had full image and likeness in them. 
But once that covenant was broken, darkness was in. He could not allow them to be gods like him in that state. Because they could not manage that. We could not manage that. Oh my goodness. Let's move on. Let's move on. I want you to see something else. We love because he first loved us. That's 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. We ahava, we marriage covenant. We enter into the kind of covenant that God entered into with us because he first entered into that covenant with us. God wants us to enter that covenant, that perfect covenant. It's always been about that perfect covenant. And every day when Teresa wakes up imperfect, every day when we walk through our whatever we're walking through, we are walking in the hope of being more like him. Not counting all the reasons why we are not, but looking at all the reasons why we have to still want to try. Yes, somebody wrote, righteousness is the hope of being more like them. I'm going to say righteousness is the decision and the choice to be more like him every single day. And then seeing progress in it. Being humble enough to be broken and to see progress. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I think um, this is, uh, no, that I'm trying to figure out what I was doing here. Oh, yeah, we're going to look at this real quick. I think it's verse 11 that I was going to um, look at. I just want to share this as an example. We all know that Peter was one of the original apostles that walked with Jesus while he was in the earth. But and we know that Paul, what came after and we know that journey and we know that they were collaborating in ministry but we also know that there was a lot of trouble and i'm using this as an example just to show you how you can wake up in the morning and how you can still decide even though things are crazy even though i made a bad choice we we you know even though things are what it is Every day, mercy is renewed if you are living and if you're breathing and if your pursuit is authentic. So when Cephas came to Antioch, which is Peter, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul, because he stood condemned. In other words, he was wrong. We, we know, um, you know, he was not acting in the way that he should. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. Oh my goodness. So now we're seeing one of the greatest apostles that ever lived, mature, solid. We see him acting a fool because he with these so-called famous people. Everybody know, you know, he trying to fit in everywhere. How did he get here? but there he is. And so the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. 
so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Now, Barnabas, who was Paul's mentor, fell into the trap. Why am I sharing this? We need to see this. Because not only are we hard on ourselves, but we are hell on other people. And we're like, how can they be with God? Look at what they're doing. Because people make mistakes. Because people fall. Because people get caught up. Because people follow false gods. They lose their way sometimes. Even the elite lose their way. Oh my God. But then you got that I do no wrong mob over here. They got their bats ready. They got their YouTube, let's discuss it going. They got all this stuff that is really none of their business happening. And they're just adding to the fuel that makes the gospel look foolish. But I love this because it's a demonstration of just how good God is and just how merciful he is and just how true it is that everybody has to work out their salvation. Oh my goodness. And we know Peter came to himself. He got over this place. Yes, he did. And we see him in later books of the Bible proving that he's shaken loose. God forbid if he was never able to arise from this situation that he found himself in. And if anyone here is um, humble, they'll recognize that they won't be caught up. And this is the other part that I want you to realize. The senior apostles, which Peter was, was helped by Paul, who, who even said in his own words, I don't even count myself to be as worthy as these. So is God contradicting himself or is the Lord making room for people to mature? Is the Lord making room for people to grow? Is the Lord making room for people to heal? I'm pretty sure in this season, as we can see, Paul probably had to separate himself from him, but we all know they came back together. You know, I can't deal with you, Peter, where you at right now. I can't. You, you, you know, I, can, I look, I'm going to have to call you out, but I love you, bro. When you get it together, we can get back together. And we know he did. Listen, see, God wants us to grow in love. What do I mean by that? When we grow in love, we won't do what Peter did. When we love God so much to be this way will not be okay for us. So we have to constantly grow so that this is not an okay place. But we also must grow to the point where we can receive from Paul as much as Paul received from Peter. Because if you know the scripture, you know that Peter had a whole conversation where he sanctioned the ministry of Paul and agreed with the other apostles that Paul is an indeed an apostle. If Peter had not done that, the people would not have believed Paul. They would not. So you have all of these dynamics happening in ministry. And the thing is, Barnabas was Paul's mentor when he was brought to the church at the very beginning of his ministry. 
Oh, gosh. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, what? He called them out before the group? Oh, yes, he did. But you know, in this day and time, we can't take that kind of stuff. We want to cuss and fuss because we're not, we're called out in public. But look at what they did. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? It takes a community. I wouldn't say that Paul got him together. I would say that he was convicted by what Paul said. I would rather use that term because Peter already knew the way. He was one of the original apostles. He already knew the way. He just needed to be called out on it. So Paul did not mentor Peter. He did not guide Peter. He just gave Peter some wisdom. Don't forget where you came from, Peter. That's all he said. And he let it go. And I'm going to tell you what they were doing so that it would make, it'll make things more clear to you. You know, I talk about Titus and I need to talk about him more. And um, it's more than that. It was, yeah, it was just in that instant. So we need to talk about Titus more because Titus was a disciple of Paul, but I want you to hear what happened. He, well, he was among Paul's group. He was among Paul's group. And so this is what happened. Yet not even Titus, who was with me. And, and remember, Titus was one of Paul's spiritual sons. That's what he called him. So yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved to you. But here we have a founding apostle who gave in. A founding apostle, a foundational apostle had given in. We think that loving God is just about following rules. But in this instance, we see Peter's heart failing. In this instance, we see Peter's soul waning. In this instance, we see Peter unable to gain the strength that he needs to stand for the gospel. So he bends into everything everybody else is doing and he did it knowing what he was doing he wasn't ignorant which is why paul called him out on it before everybody else he had to do it publicly thank god peter repented thank god things got back on track and thank god that peter can wake up in the morning back then, just like you and I did and say, God, today is another opportunity for me to learn to love you based on your expectations of love. 
Oh my goodness. Last scripture, last scripture I'm going to give you on this. It simply says this. Jesus answered him, the most important of all the commandments is this. I'm going to read this from the New King James Version. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6 repeated, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall Ahavah the Lord, your God, with all your heart. So what do we get from this? And looking at Peter's life and looking at the life of pretty much everyone in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, they all struggled to obey God. They all struggled in their beginning of their ministry and most of them in the maturest parts of their ministry as well. Your struggle does not change simply because you think you're more saved now because it's been 20 years. People still have struggles. Now, whether you stay in that struggle is another situation. Many things happen in scripture like this. We should have the posture of one of the scriptures that Paul gave was, he said, when I, I'm going to paraphrase and I'm jacking it up. If you can find this scripture, please post it in the chat. But he says something that, along the lines of, when I want to do right, it seems like I'm always making the wrong choice. And I was like, God, what in the world? Someone said Romans 7. So let's look there real quick. Um, let's go there real quick. Come on, um, Romans 7. Then we'll go back to that scripture. Let's see. I'm looking for the verse. Somehow I believe it's... Um, if you know the exact verse, share it with me. Okay. Okay, so this is what he's saying. Okay, here, and now I'm going to go up, up above. What I want is up above. Here it is. I'm going to highlight it. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that the for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. This is his struggle. Now he overcame it. I want to make sure you know that. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not know. Do, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. What? This is an apostle. Keep, keep reading. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no, I, no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does. It's my carnal nature. It's the part of me that God is still working on. It's the me that wake up in the morning instead of being condemned. I am saying, I'm going to try again. 
I'm gonna push toward the prize. I'm gonna subject my body. I'm gonna beat it into submission. I'm gonna do whatever is necessary to prove that I love you, God. I'm gonna walk in that expectation. You might have to do it a thousand times, but that thousand time might be the moment it becomes revelation and truth to you. Oh, I'm going to read this. Let's read this in a fun version. I'm going to read this in, um, oh, we're going to use the message Bible. I know y'all shocked by that. So here I am um, reading this. Let's see, 14. Okay. I can participate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another way, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself, and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. Oh, my goodness. So good. Oh, my goodness. But here we are right here. So I find the law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man am I. I Remember, if you read on, I'm not reading all of this. He comes to a place of healing. He comes to a place of healing and he breaks through. So don't get stuck here as I'm sharing it with you. You got to read the whole chapter, the whole whole book. What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, listen, this is the apostle Paul. I was like, what in the world did you do, dude? What's up? Because you are the apostle Paul. For you to be talking like this, what have you been doing? What is your sin? What are you continuously falling into that have you racked right now with so much shame and so much guilt? Why are you battling? What is it? Where are you, Paul? Where is your heart for God? Where is your strength? Where is all your soul at right now, Paul? Listen, it's coming through. Then he said, what a wretched man am I who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Then he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh my God, he had to rely on grace and mercy. He had to rely on the fact that every day was an opportunity to try again. Every day. God's expectation of us to be like him is not rooted in our own perfection. It's rooted in our pursuit of being like him. 
I'm going to say that again, is rooted in our pursuit of him. Is rooted in our pursuit. His expectation is that we pursue. That we don't grow weary. That we don't, in God's life, he's just looking for people who will do anything to pursue him. That are desperate to pursue him. That when we have these struggles in our lives, God has to become enough. God has to become as great as a hunger, a thirst. He has to become what we desire. We have to love him more than the chocolate. We have to love him more than the man, more than the... We have to get to this point where we are panting and thirsting. Paul is on that journey to this place. He's saying, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord, his turning point. So then I myself in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. In other words, we cannot be slave to both because we're going to betray. You can't love one master and hate the other. In other words, you can't say I love God because loving God is covenant. Loving God is covenant marriage. Loving God is obedience, not just emotion, not just feeling. Oh my goodness. I'm going to read the message side. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. Where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by influence of sin to do something totally different. And sin is not just, and I know a lot of people think sin is about sleeping around. It's not just sex. For God's sake, it's thinking wrong. We have to understand that what is to come, what is happening around us. I keep telling you all, we've been on this for months. What is to come is going to be greater than any trial we have ever seen. It's going to be harder than anything we've, but we've got to know just because people are acting a fool, just because they seem like this and seem like that. We have to understand that a lot of people are at war. Where is our compassion going to be? When we are the ones that find ourselves at war, where are we? When we find ourselves Uh, I'm I'm choosing sides instead of choosing Jesus. Where are we? When we're having an opinion about someone's worst moment and we're killing them. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? Oh my goodness. Jesus answered him. The first of all commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, 
the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Oh my God. With all your soul. And with all your mind. Oh my goodness. That wasn't in the first one. And with all your strength. In other words, in the old covenant, God didn't care what you thought. Just do what I say. This is what I'm requiring of you. These are the laws you must follow to love me. These are the things you must do. But, but God, it's so hard. So we had to have blood walks. We had to have sacrifices. We had to have altars. We had to have priests going before us. We had to have feasts and festivals. We had to have atonement. We had to have all of this stuff was required. But when Jesus came, the Lord says, I'm just dealing with your heart. I want you to figure out how I live. I'm giving you the mind of Christ so that you will know my character, I'm, that you will know my mind, that you would know what my soul looks like, that you would know my heart, that you would know how and have access to strength so you can do what the people before you could only hope to do by following rules and regulations. They had to do A, B, C, D. You just have to learn how to love me. And I've put my spirit in you to show you and to teach you. I've given you the opportunity to wake up every morning with new mercy. I've given you grace at the door. And I'm dwelling in you so you're not dependent on one person ministering to you all the time. You have everything you need for life and godliness right here at your fingertips. And I'm going to place the lonely in families. I'm going to put you in a community. And I'm going to cause you to have access to wisdom that you can navigate, that you can find the compass that you can take the sextant in your hand and navigate the waters on the ship that you are on right now. Oh my God. I want you to navigate that way because there's no way, Teresa, you're going to be able to do everything that I want you to do in this moment. And if there are people who believe they have arrived, let them know they're deceiving themselves because we all have work still yet to be done. In God's life, there is an expectation that we can be like him. There is an expectation of being made perfect in Christ. How does that look? Every time you overcome a dark place, a sinful place in your life, you have become like Christ in that area. We don't give ourselves enough credit. We're too busy counting our sins instead of looking what we have all, at what we have already perfected and knowing that if God could perfect those things in my life, my God, what he's working on now, there's an end to that. There's a place that I can get to in that. And I'm going to reason with him 
and I'm going to do everything in my life to love you. I'm going to do everything in my life to, to, if I lose it in the moment, it's not lost. Because God has proven that he understands the, the, the quest for being like him. And he's given us the provision to achieve it in Jesus' name. Father, I just thank you for the message today. I thank you, Father, that hearts have heard. I thank you, Father, that there will be no more condemnation, that we will come back to this message over and over again. And remember that as long as our pursuit of God is authentic, as long as our pursuit of righteousness exceeds our our quest for the things of the flesh, as long as we understand that it is in the pursuit, the earnest pursuit, the desire for God, the desire for love, and to know that he wants to be loved, Father, we can change. We can be better. We can humble ourselves. We can overcome. I can do it, God. We need to say to ourselves, I can do it, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.